and ceased not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face, as it had been the face of an angel. I wonder if you join me in a further word of prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the way that you've led us, instructed us, um, even in, in our worship this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for the sense of your presence. And we ask that, Lord, you would continue with us as we look in your word now. Lord, as we've asked that you would bless the children, we also ask, Lord, that you would bless us with the ministry of your word. We want to pray that, Lord, you would cause your anointing to be upon my speaking and upon all our hearing. Lord, would you go before us into this time around your word. We need your enabling. We are absolutely destitute without you for everything spiritual and of good uh, and of need. Lord, please would you help us in our time now, we ask. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, first of all, let's have a look at verse 5. What we're going to do this morning is uh, focus ourselves upon the life uh, of Stephen. And I just feel there's so much we can learn through this brother. Um, that will be of a blessing to us, an encouragement to us in the last days. Remember, we're looking through the book of Acts as a pattern for how the church should be. Well, there's certain things that happen in the book of Acts that will happen again in the last days. And one of those things is persecution, isn't it? We know that that's on its way. But how did Stephen handle that? How was he able to cope with the difficulties that he was in? Well, God willing, we'll look at that this morning and this afternoon, and God willing, it'd be something of a blessing to you. Um, as we learn from Stephen. So, verse 5 again. And they, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost. First of all, um, verse 5 is instructive for us concerning Stephen. Um, when you consider he's mentioned here amongst a whole list of other names, you notice something attached to Stephen, that you don't notice attached to the others. Do you see that? It's as though this man amongst the seven stands out. Do you see that? He says in verse 5, And the same pleads the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And then it goes on to say, And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, just mentions the others' names. Now I'm not saying that they were not full of faith, or of the Holy Ghost, but there seems to be that the Holy Spirit draws specific attention to Stephen. And actually you'll find as you go on in the narrative that he's the one that stands out, out of the seven, and the Lord takes him on to a whole new realm. I mean, he comes into view here as listed amongst seven that were going to wait on tables and um, uh, feed those that were lacking, which is a marvellous thing to do. But then we notice not only was he a man that, that was there to officiate for a practical need, he was a man who was filled with faith and the Holy Ghost. And I want to just suggest to you that any work that God has for us in the house, whatever it may be, that the Lord wants us to be those who are full of faith in that work. 
and full of the Holy Ghost. It might be a practical work the Lord's called you to. Nonetheless, if the Lord's called you to something practical, he wants there to be something of faith toward God in it, and for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit to show you how to function in that role. You know, we can think, well, this is very easy. I just use my head, and I go ahead and do what I need to do. But, you know, yes, while we use our heads, and we don't leave our heads at the doors when we come into church, certainly not. But nonetheless, with every work of God, the Lord is wanting something of his fingerprint upon it. In your life and in your works, he's wanting you to look to him for every practical thing in your life. Just ask God, what am I to do within the house of God? And when the Lord shows you, well, just ask him, Lord, how do I go about this? Would you give me your enabling and then function in that role? But the Lord wants every one of us, dear friends, no matter what it is, to be those that are reliant on God for the work that we do. Those that are filled with faith toward God and those that are full of the Holy Ghost. And if we are like that, the Lord will lead us on with himself, won't he? He did for Stephen. He was a man then who was full of faith. That's the first thing I want you to take notice of in this particular passage. Here's a man who was full. Full. It's not just says, here's a man who had faith, but here's a man who was full of faith. Now when you're full of faith, you haven't got much room for other things to get in. If your cup is full of tea, or preferably coffee, then there's no room for anything else to get in the cup, is there? But if you're sort of half full of faith, you sort of have a measure of faith, but you're not really coming into the fullness of faith, then there's room for other things to get in. And, you know, we can hear the Word of God, we can believe the right things, we can hear the greatest Bible teachers in the world. The Israelites have Moses, it doesn't get much better than that. But it says in the book of Hebrews, that with their hearing, it wasn't mixed with faith. And so it did them no good. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. We can say, well, I listen to the best. I listen to, you know, I know that I'm sound because I listen to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Well, I'm glad you do listen to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. So do I. But if we're listening to this ministry and we're not taking to heart some of the things that the Lord may be showing us through it, how's it going to benefit us? The Lord wants what we hear to be mixed with faith. Now this brings us on to the nature of what faith is. Because there's been endless confusion within the church for what faith is. Okay? Um, one of the reasons is, is because we have the hyper-charismatic movement that teach faith as a kind of thing that you can pump up. You know what I mean? So um, you're just, you know, if you're going forward for healing, you know, people pray for you and you're not healed, they just say to you, well, you just need more faith. Just pump it up. Come on, you can get your, you know. Just as though somehow within you, there's the ability to have uh, faith for your complete healing. Well, do you know, the, the scriptures show us clearly that faith is a gift from God, is it not? So it has to be something that the Lord gives us in the first place to operate in it. And if we're going to have faith, we need to ask God for faith. Particularly when it comes to the realm of healing. We can't just slap our hands on somebody and say we heal. We need to know that God's initiated that in our hearts. And we have faith. We believe deep down. God is going to heal this person. We have a measure of faith. We lay hands on that person and they will be healed. That's what will happen. But if it's not living faith, if it is just optimism, then it, nothing will be affected uh, in, in our laying on of hands. So faith is not something that we pump up. Ne neither is it... Um, a sort of a risk-taking business. You often hear people say, I'm just stepping out in faith. 
Have you ever heard that phrase before? I'm just stepping out in faith, you know? I'm going to go to Zimbabwe. I just, you know, have you been called? No, but I'm just stepping out in faith. I just believe I know people need to be saved. Boom! I'm going to go and step out in faith. That, that is not faith. That's another word called presumption. Okay? That is not living faith. You say, how do you know? How can you say that? Because in Romans chapter 10, it clearly shows us how faith comes to us. Now, isn't it interesting that faith comes to us? It's not something that we have in and of ourselves. You know, just claim it and claim it. You know, I want a Bentley, so I just need enough faith to believe I'm going to have a Bentley. Or if you pre- perhaps you prefer an Austin Martin, or whatever they're called. You know, some other car. You could, you know, if you just have the faith, as though it's in you to have it. Well, it's a lot of nonsense, isn't it? Because the Word of God shows us that faith comes to us. Well, if faith comes to us, it's obviously outside of us. It's not something that's uh, in us, of ourselves. How does it come to us? Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Now, this is something that we need to take to heart. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Well, this is very different, isn't it, to the way sometimes that we are told that we are to experience faith. Yes, there is a general sense in which we need to believe unto God for all that he would have us come into. But faith initiates with God. He gives it. Have the faith of God. And faith comes by hearing. And what happens is, what the faith of hearing, I hope you've experienced it. I would suggest to you, if you haven't experienced this at all, that it might be worth asking the Lord whether you've ever been born again of the Spirit of God. Because faith is essential in the realm of salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith, in a sense, is the vehicle through which grace comes to us. But we need to be those that are truly have the faith of God, the faith that comes by hearing. So what happens? How does this work practically? It could be that I'm hearing the ministry of the Word, and suddenly in my spirit there's what we call a quickening. Have you ever experienced that? When you have a quickening in your spirit, the Word of God comes to you and you're quickened. You've heard the verse a million times before that the preacher is preaching, but then as he preaches, for some reason this time, something happens inwardly. Your spirit is quickened. You you suddenly realise God is speaking to you. Mm -hmm. Now this is what you should know and what I should know uh, in our lives. And with that quickening comes faith. But with that quickening, there is a response that's required. It's the response of faith. You see, the Israelites, they they heard the word of God, but as we mentioned before, the word was not mixed with faith. Well, what does that mean? Is it just simply that they didn't believe? No, it's that they didn't respond to what they were told to do. That's where faith comes in, friends. It's not taking some kind of... um, risk out in some kind of uh, a far country, you know, you suddenly feel I've got to do this, or I'm going to take a risk for Jesus. That's not where faith springs from. Faith comes to you by hearing and you're quickened. Then once you're quickened and you, you're given the faith to respond, it's then about responding to the Word of God. And as you respond to the Word of God, you are acting in faith. Do you see what I mean? Dennis Clark put it like this, and I think it's the best description of faith I've ever heard outside of the scriptures. 
He said, faith is not so much whom you believe, but who you choose to obey. Now, if you stick by that rule, you won't get lost in the realm of God. It's who you choose to obey. So it requires God to initiate something. Now, this is where we get dependent on God, isn't it? You know, we can't just suddenly decide we're going to do things for Jesus. We need the Lord to give us faith. And as the word of God comes to us, we respond in faith. You know, the scriptures say, this just shows you how important this matter of faith is. The scriptures say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You haven't the ability to please God, even if you want to. Even if you want to do a million things for Jesus and call it by faith. If the Lord hasn't initiated that by the hearing of the word, it's not faith. And therefore, it can't please God. And the book of Romans shows us that anything that is apart from faith is a sin. So we need to make sure everything we do is the result of the Lord working something in us. This is the very nature of salvation, isn't it? The Lord works in both the will and to do. But we have to work our salvation out with fear and trembling. Do you see what I mean? You're given the instructions, but the working out, this is where faith comes in. Now let's say the Lord calls me to go to a particular place. And the Lord says, I want you to be there. And I respond to that word. What am I doing? I'm living in faith. In fact, it was in this church, back in 2006, before I went to Guildford, and I was there for about four and a half years, I, was, I woke up a Sunday morning and had a strong impression in my spirit that the Lord was going to move me to Guildford. It was something that was not of myself, it was quickened to me, it was something that I, I sensed almost a weight about it, a burden about it, I knew this was from God, this wasn't just a whim, a desire of my flesh. And I came to the church this Sunday morning and I was sitting round about this sort of area. And uh, the previous pastor, Brian, was putting verses up on the screen and he mentioned this verse from John chapter 12. Where I am, there my servant will be also. And then immediately the Lord put it in my heart. That word came to me so clearly. You need to be where I am for you. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If we're going to be the Lord's servants, we need to be where he is for us, don't we? And essentially the Lord brought that word to me, and I knew I had to respond. And the only way that there'd be any fruit from that word coming to me is if I obeyed it. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So simple. But this matter of faith is so essential. He who comes to God must believe that he is, Hebrews 11 verse 6, must believe that he is, what, that he exists? No, not as just simply that he exists, but that he's able to do everything he says in the word of God, that he is who he is, that I am who I am. You believe God for what he says, every promise in the book, every thing that is uttered, uh, not thing, that's the wrong word, every word that is uttered, everything he said to you, you believe that he is able to fulfill. That's the nature of living faith. And you and I must... Now, what is the verse? I've lost my train of thought. Um, he's the rewarder of those who didn't do this here. Sorry. Um, what, is it? what did I just mention? Hebrews 11, 6. Let me, let, me, let me go to it. Hebrews 11, verse 6. So it says... Um, without faith. That is, without faith it is impossible... To please him. You cannot please God without this. So therefore essentially you need it. 
And he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you're diligently seeking the Lord, it's showing that there's some measure of faith in your life. But actually, if you don't seek the Lord diligently, you don't really believe He's going to reward you, do you? But if you really believe He's going to reward you if you seek Him, you'll seek Him. The, 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 it, the proof of the, what is it? The proof of the pudding, pudding is in the eating, right? How do you know that I really believe that God's going to reward me if I diligently seek Him? Well, if I diligently seek Him. Of course, if we never pray, we never really meditate on the Word of God, but we were strong, oh, I believe God. It's just words, isn't it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Think how important it is. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of, of, of Christ, for it's the power of God's salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Not the just shall be born again by faith. Though of course that's essential. As we read that in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. By grace you are saved. By grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But nonetheless, we are to go on in faith. Because faith and faithfulness are synonymous in both Greek and Hebrew. O ye of little faith, O ye of little faithfulness. Okay, you've got it. So here was a man, Stephen, who was somebody full of faith. When you're full of faith, there's no room for doubt, anxiety, or fear to play any part in your life. That's how you know you're living filled with faith. When you're full of faith, fear hasn't got a hope. Anxiousness hasn't got a hope. Double-mindedness hasn't got a hope. Not a hope of having any breathing space whatsoever. If you and I are fearful, we are not being faithful. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, this is where the rubber hits the road, doesn't it? This is where we all go a little bit quiet and realise we can no longer just accept these things as doctrine. This is where, and, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll let you into a little, um, not a secret because it's probably going on the internet anyway, but um, into something the Lord showed me. A couple of weeks ago, I was in my time with the Lord in the morning, and I was trying to meditate on the Word, but there was something uh, that had God hold my heart somewhat in the realm of fear. I was fearful about something. And as I tried to meditate on the Word, I wasn't getting anywhere with the Word. It's as though the Lord wasn't touching me with the Scriptures. And I couldn't get anywhere, even though I was trying. You know, I wasn't putting a bit of effort in. And then the Lord convicted me and says, and showed me, basically, you've got to repent of that first. So, I brought my fear to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm sorry I was worried about my life. I shouldn't have been. That was wrong. You told me in the scriptures to not fear at least 365 times. Or as we said last time, 60 ticks for the leap year. Um, either way, there's enough for every day of the year. The Lord has shown us not to fear. And I feared, Lord, so I was, I was being sinful. 
and I, I want to repent of that before you. I put it right, put my eyes down on the same scripture that I've been meditating on for some while, and immediately the word opened up. You see, fear isn't an option for us. Do you understand? It's not something that we can allow to have access into our lives, in our hearts. If I told you, you may be shocked by this, if I told you actually fear is a sin, I wonder what you think. At first, you sort of think, oh no, that's dreadful. And I do as well. Naturally, I'm a fearful person. So I'm not a bold kind of character who can just do left, right and centre. I naturally have fear, but I know that I need to be done with it. And I know that the blood of Jesus can cleanse me from it. And I know that the power of Jesus can deliver me from it. And therefore, I can live in faith. If God says it's possible, it's possible. And actually you'll find some of the strongest saints that ever walked the earth were natural weaklings who proved the power of God in their weakness and not in their strength. Bravado has no part in the Christian life. And we can masquerade as spiritual strength that's nothing but carnal. Mm. And actually it doesn't avail much in the realm of spiritual things. But get somebody who's weak enough themselves and knows they can't do something but repents of their sin, of fear, and gets hold of God's strength. It's amazing what can happen. Well, the Lord wants us to be those full of faith. This is the first thing we read about Stephen, that he was a man full of faith. And secondly... It says not only that, as I, rust, I wrestle my way back to Acts chapter 6, it then goes on to say that he was full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is so important as well. Are you full of faith and the Holy Ghost? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? If I told you that it's a command not to fear, you would say, yes, amen. What about if I told you it's a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit? By the way, this is not my idea. I'm really just relaying to you what the Scriptures say. And I don't really like you looking miserable about what I'm saying. So do cheer up a little. If there's a command from the Word of God to say, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it means you can be. Why take it as a negative? Take it as a positive. If God's saying to me, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it means that Johnny well can. Amen. That's it. And you receive by faith. You don't receive by straightening at the oars. You receive by faith. You just believe God means business with you. And as far as you know, you're right with God. You've cleansed you. Your heart is cleansed. You've sought the Lord. And you say, well, Lord, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your word commands me to. So I want to receive of you that I might be obedient to you. Here I am. And receive by faith. Not by feeling. You might have to find <coughs> you've received by faith. You've accepted the Lord on the basis of His Word. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit. But you sense nothing initially. And as you begin to walk in belief uh, that God is who He says He is, you find yourself filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't believe that you find yourself speaking in tongues a week later. Maybe even months later. It could be that you find that the Lord gives you a word of prophecy. Either way, being filled with the Holy Spirit means there's something definite about your Christianity now. 
You notice with those who are filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost, they had direction, they had purpose in their life. This was something of the outflowing of being filled with the Spirit of God. It's not simply the gifts of the Spirit, though we thank God for every one of them. But it's this purposeful witness, this, there's, there's a sense of boldness that has come over the saints of God that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's direction. Are you filled with the Spirit? Do you have that boldness? It's amazing, really. With the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the constant refilling of the Spirit comes joy. That's why you're never miserable, is it? Yes. That's why we all get miserable at times, don't we? But, um, but the truth of the matter is, the outworking of the being filled with the Spirit, one of the outworkings is joy. And you're, you're blessed. You praise God. You're no longer grumbling over every little thing. And you're thanking the Lord. You can walk down the streets. You know, there's some people being baptized in the Spirit. They're walking down the streets and they can't stop smiling. And people look at them because they're so full of joy. They've received the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Remember, it's the Spirit of joy. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Joy? Praise God. Joy isn't feeling nice. It's being blessed with the, with the presence of God. They were filled. He was a man who was full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, there's not room for much darkness then, is there? To get in the way. Being filled with the Spirit. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you. If not, are you seeking for the baptism in the Holy Spirit? If you're seeking for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, are you learning to lay hold of the Lord and receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And then if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. Go on being filled. This is where Stephen was at. So what a wonderful introduction to this matter, uh, sorry, to the subject of this life of Stephen. A man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you go down a little bit to verse 6, you find that after these men are brought together, it says, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Has anybody got a different version to that? Verse 6. If you have, could you speak it out, please? Otherwise, I know you're all good KJVs. Okay. Um, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Anybody got anything different? No? Sorry? What's the previous bit, sorry? The whole of verse 6? Thank you. They placed their hands on them, they laid their hands on them. Either one, is, it means the same thing. Now, do you notice what the scripture doesn't say here concerning the land of hands? It doesn't say they laid hands on them and prayed for them. Says he, they prayed for them and then they laid their hands on them. Why? Because laying on of hands is not for prayer. <laughs> now think about this. This is one of the elementary doctrines mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6. You know what we can do? We can go to somebody, lay our hands on them, on their head. Let's say Audrey, because she was kind enough to mention the scripture verse. Right. Lay my hands on Audrey, I pray. But let's say Audrey's got a terrible pain in her elbow. I go down to her, I lay my hands on her, and I say, Lord, please would you heal Audrey? Please would you cause that pain in her elbow to go? We pray that you take it away. That's not the way that laying on of hands is to work. 
How is learning of hands to work? It's like this. Lord, Audrey has a situation where she's got this pain in her elbow. Would you show us whether you want to heal her? And we pray. And there's a few of us, we sense God wants to heal our sister. So then somebody with an anointing from God, or led of the Lord, will go over to Audrey, lay their hands on her, and not pray that she be healed, but say, be healed in Jesus' name. The laying on of hands is unto something happening. It's not simply for praying for somebody, it's about the Lord touching that person and in faith laying your hands on them. Okay? The scriptures talk about not laying hands on people hastily. Do you remember that scripture? Okay? And yet you go to some churches and they'll whack their hands on you as soon as you're through the door. You haven't got a hug once your hat's off. <laughs> there they are. Boom! <laughs> laying hands on your left, right and centre. Well, that's not the way the scriptures work. You say, you sang teaching against the laying on of hands? Certainly not. I believe I believe in the laying on of hands with all my heart. But I believe it's not that I pray for somebody, but you lay hands on in faith for their healing. Maybe their deliverance. Maybe the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But there's a something of the Lord imparting his blessing to that particular one. So we find in this particular verse that they prayed for these ones, and then they laid their hands on them. Yes? Have you got that? Are you with me on that? Good. And then we're on to verse 7. And the word of God increased. Why was that? Because the apostles stuck with the ministry that God had called them to. And they were freed up to do the work that God had given them. Marvellous, isn't it? The Lord wants to free you up to do the work he has for you. If there's anything that hinders you from the work of God that you've got your hand in, ask the Lord to release your hand from it. But just make sure it's the Lord. (laughs) But the Lord may well have you come out of something if it's crippling your walk with Him. Do you see what I mean? Now this is really important for us to realise this. Because we can all have propensities to be involved with things that can ultimately take us away from the purpose of God. This is exactly what the possibility was for the apostles, isn't it? They could have been taken away from what God had called them to, and they could have been provided on tables, and they would have looked very good for doing so. But they didn't do it. They stuck with what God had told them to do. Make sure that just if you sense the Lord is calling you to something, something's crippling you, something's preventing you being in what God wants you to be in, just ask the Lord for the release on it. So that you're fully able to enter into what he has for you. Well, let's move on. The word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I think that's the most thrilling verse. The priests were obedient to the faith. This is tremendous. The religious, you know. Those that you can't imagine raising their hands in worship. Please forgive me for saying this. but You know, they're, they're freed. To the revelation of the Lord Jesus as being the Messiah. And then we go on. Now, look at verse 8, please. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, I just want to mention this. Previously, we read of Stephen, or first of all, we read that Stephen was full of 
faith and, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Here we read, he's full of faith and power. The power is, the Greek word here is dunamis. Dunamis. We could derive the word dynamite from it. Dynamite. What happens when somebody is baptised in the Holy Spirit? There's some dynamite about their Christian life, isn't there? There's a work of God. Something of the power of God is given. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem till you are endued with dunamis from on high. Power. Now you may be living the Christian life. You may know something of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Of course, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you can't be none of His. But somehow you realise there's an absence of power. There's an absence of where you speak, but your words fall to the ground. You're intimidated by men. Friends, all these things God can deal with. We need the power of God, particularly in these last days. We are going to need the power of the Holy Ghost, without which you will struggle, but with which you will overcome. You will overcome, because by the Spirit we can. Praise God. Stephen was full of faith and power. Now to remember what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Of course you do. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's the spirit that God has given to us. It's the spirit of dunamis, of power, enabling. Now this was necessary for Stephen for, for what he was going to face. But this is necessary for you also. For me also. We need the power of the Spirit. We need the enabling of God. Away with the teaching that teaches there's no baptism in the Holy Ghost. Friends, there is a baptism in the Holy Ghost, and the experience is there for you to have. For everyone who will believe that the Holy Spirit is a gift. And He wants to come to you, He wants to fill you. All you do need to do is wait on Him, call on the Lord, have faith. Believe that God wants to meet with you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with His power. You know when they received power on the day of Pentecost? Everything changed. They were already the Lord's. They received of the Spirit in the upper room because Jesus had breathed into them new life. He breathed into the new life, but they hadn't received power. And that's where the baptism of the Spirit is so essential. Well now, let's go on a little bit. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. There's always an outworking. When somebody's baptised in the Spirit, something will ultimately happen. Their witness will suddenly become effective. There'll be something more powerful about their handling of things. Actually, you'll find that the Word of God will open up as a living book. And you'll see the Lord Jesus is on the throne. Such will happen to the saint who will lay hold of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He did great wonders and miracles, signs that means, among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the freedmen, or libertines. Now, and it goes on to the various ones. They gather together and they start disputing with Stephen. Isn't it amazing? They see the works of God, they see the people uh, are, are touched by God and immediately they dispute against Stephen. And this is the nature of the religious spirit that comes into the churches. The moment there is a work of God, the moment the Lord is beginning to work amongst his people, you can be sure that those who are purely of the realm of religion will try to shut it down. They try to close it. And they're afraid of the life of Christ 
coming forth in power amongst the people. They're fearful of it. If you go to some churches and you start preaching that Jesus Christ is going to come back again, they're not worried. We don't want you talking about that. You know, but nonetheless, we need to come to the reality of things. The livingness of the Lord Jesus flowing amongst us. You can be sure that the opposition, the moment you and I function practically in the power of the Spirit of God, there will be a reaction. If you haven't had a reaction, I question whether you've had a baptism. Somebody once asked a famous minister, what's the biggest evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? He said, simple, one word, trouble. <laughs> and you'll find opposition if you're flowing in the power of the Spirit of God. And it will surprise you where it comes from. But it will come. But the problem with us, so many of us are no real threat to the powers of darkness. Are we? we don't lay hold on God. The moment we're flowing in the power of the Spirit, functioning in the things of God, you will have opposition. Now, dear friends, if you're having opposition, don't think that some strange thing is happening to you. It's almost a form of flattery. In a sense, the enemy is now paying attention. This person's been filled with the Spirit of God. We've got to stop him. We've got to stop her. And these men, mere men, men will try to close you down once you're focusing in the life flow of the power of the Spirit. But notice what the Scriptures say. Although they disputed and argued and reasoned with Stephen, verse 10 says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit by which he spoke. That's a marvellous verse, isn't it? You see, Stephen didn't just argue his corner. And we sometimes think the best way we can deal with opponents is by giving them a good slap of the knowledge of truth that we have. You know what I mean? And uh, so-and-so comes up to us and they say, well, I disagree with you. Do you? Well, I'm going to get you with this. You know? And we try and argue our corner. You don't read of Stephen really doing that, do you? Or we feel that the answer, please forgive me for saying this, but we feel that the answer has become experts in apologetics. And then if we become experts in apologetics, we'll have the answer for anybody who comes to us. If they try to dispute against us, we'll be able to give them the answer. Because we know all the answers. We've memorised them all. But he doesn't say that about Stephen. He didn't argue with them. He spoke to them with the wisdom and the spirit of God. Amen. That is the you will not undo your enemies or your opponents by trying to beat them over the head with a better answer. Nor will you be able to convert the unconverted simply with clever argument. But with wisdom and the Spirit of God, it is amazing what can happen. You certainly won't be overcome. And sometimes if you're speaking to somebody and they're coming from a particular angle that you know is wrong, they may even be in the church, what do you do? Do you try and think up the best answer? Or do you say, in your spirit, in your heart, Lord, give me your answer. And if the Lord doesn't give you the answer, it's best that I keep my mouth shut.
these men were learnt men. These were not people who didn't know anything. These were those who were high up in the synagogues. Now listen, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. Are you somebody who knows the enabling of the Spirit of God? Whenever somebody comes to you with a word, something to challenge you, something to oppose you, ask God for the wisdom of how to handle them and pray that the Spirit of God would give you something to respond to have. I remember one time where I had a very funny uh, exchange with somebody, and I've shared it here before, so forgive me for being a, sort of like a broken record. Um, but for my limited experience, I have to repeat things from the past. Pray to God that I might come into more with him. But I remember a time when I was in a lecture, and um, I've shared this before, a friend of mine in front of me, his pen was broken and would work, so he looked around and said, have you got a spare pen? And I did, I had one which said, Jesus is alive on it. Not Jesus is alive on it, but Jesus is alive. <laughs> Not on the pen, but... So anyway, I gave it to him in front and he started scribbling and he realised that he was not very, I wasn't, he wasn't very happy. He looked back and he gave me the pen back and he said, it doesn't work. And he said, uh, so maybe that's telling you something. So I thought, oh no. And just out of my mouth, the words came without me even, it was just like the Lord. I just said, well, it only works for believers. You <laughs> <laughs> can't really get this pen working unless you really believe. And I just took the pen and I went like this. And this beautiful blue ink came out. You should have seen the white of his eyes. He was like, oh, brilliant. For the rest of that lecture, I can't imagine what the lecture was talking about. I was just laughing. It's really, it's a lovely moment, actually. It's ah. um, So anyway, that was a great moment, that was. And um, so the thing is, that the enemy can't outdo the Lord, can he? Haven't you noticed? Uh, every time the Lord wins, praise God. His word is final. Mm -hmm. They cannot resist the wisdom and the spirit of God. So basically, what they did is they raised up men to try to uh, say that uh, Stephen has spoken blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stir up the people. Now this is what happens, you see. When the enemy can't win one way, you try another, won't you? Haven't you experienced that in your own life? You've resisted the enemy on one hand, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, something else comes up. You sort of, immediately at that point, you can begin to uh, become uh, depressed within your spirit. Don't, 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 don't. You're going to face battles on every side. It will happen, but endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Keep going. You'll be able to resist that one as well. And then God may give you a measure of space from the attacks, but just keep going. Don't give in to discouragement. Oh, I've got to deal with this. I've got to, no, just go to God. Realize that he's able to deal with these enemies. And the enemy stirs up. The people, or the people rather, um, are stirred up by the leaders and uh, the elders and the scribes. And they come to him and they catch him and they bring him to council and set false witnesses up against him. This man, and they say, this man ceaseth not to blaspheme, not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place of the Lord. And you know what we read earlier on. But then we go on to read in verse 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as if... It had been the face of an angel. That's a very significant statement. Okay, just consider that. Here's a man who's being faced with hard faces. When somebody's face is hard at you, you often reciprocate the look on their face. Stephen was untouched 
The faces were hard against him. They were steadfast on him. But he's learnt for his soul to be subject to his spirit and to the spirit of God. It's a very important lesson to learn. If you, if you give light for light, you'll never get a reward. But if somebody looks aggressive and speaks aggressively to you and you respond in a different spirit, that will arm, that disarm your opponent. Can be your closest friend, but you disarm them. Stephen's face was as an angel. Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Look, chapter 7, verse 1, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dealt with, dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Now, I'm not going to read the whole sermon, as it were, that Stephen gave to the Sanhedrin. But you read it. He goes into what happened in the past. How the Lord brings out Abraham. He talks about the patriarchs. He talks about Joseph. He talks about Moses. Goes through the whole list. And then you get a word at the end. Which is a sting. Turn with me to chapter 7.
coming to an end. Look at this particular phrase. It says that he looked up steadfastly into heaven. Now before, if you remember, I mentioned that he had the face of an angel. What does it say in Psalm 34? They looked to him and were radiant. radiant. There's something in Stephen, even before he sees this, where he's focused already on the Lord. There's a lightness, there's a radiance about him. He has the face of an angel before the men. And then you go on to read in Acts chapter 7, he starts preaching and he says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. You see, Stephen is focused on glory, on the Lord. He's setting his sight on the, on the Lord himself. In the midst of opposition and difficulty, his focus is on God. And you may be going through a difficulty now. Perhaps you're going through some measure of opposition. Look up. Lift up your head. Ask the Lord to be your glory in the lift of your head. He can deal with the situation that you're in. Sometimes the answer is not having the answer. It's simply seeing the Lord. And in seeing the Lord, the situation is altered. In your thinking, in your heart. You perceive it differently. You don't see it in the same light. Something's changed in your disposition. The situation hasn't changed, but you've changed. And that's the most important thing to God. Because He's in the business of conforming us to the image of His Son. That's why He saved us, did you know? To conform us to the image of His Son. Sometimes the Lord uses hardship to do that. But as we look away from ourselves, and not into ourselves for the answer, but look away unto the Lord, we can have faces like angels in the midst of opposition. Can nobody is to know something of the focus being on the glory of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was ever the um, emphasis of the saints in the, in the epistles. Their focus is on the glory to come. And when you read about suffering and opposition and difficulty, you'll find very often that suffering is coupled with glory in the Word of God. Say, for example, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's about glory, you see, in the midst of opposition. You get it so many times. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. The scriptures say that the Lord Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 is bringing many sons to glory. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. How are you going to get through it? How are you going to possibly be able to endure in the present when you've got these oppositions and difficulties? The way to do it is to have the long-term view. is to realise the end of things. That in the end, this suffering, these difficulties that you're going through, which you actually think is something of the obstacle to, your, to a great relationship with the Lord, actually the Lord is saying, I'm going to use this for a far more exceeding weight of glory for you in eternity. By the end of this message, you'll be longing for difficulties, won't you? <laughs> no wonder James says, consider it all joy when you go through various trials. The testing of your faith is going to produce things. And so it says also in Romans chapter 5, we, the Lord allows difficulties, but it's unto a glory. Now look, here we have a tragic situation in Acts chapter 7, don't we? we essentially, we have the first martyr 
of the New Testament church, Stephen. John the Baptist, of course, was martyred. The Lord Jesus wasn't so much martyred because he was paying the penalty for our sin, but certainly Stephen was martyred, the first martyr. And we find that after Stephen's martyred, there's a massive persecution that breaks out on the church. And the whole church has to disperse everywhere. There's havoc. A lot of difficulty. A lot of hardship. But what do we read? Was that the end of it? Not at all. He was full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God, and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Dear friends, maybe what you need is not simply the answer to your questions, but an open heaven. I remember years ago, I was in something bothered me for years, and it tormented my mind and my soul, and I remember once having such an impression from God, and I was in the middle of studying, I think, and I just said, Lord, how am I going to deal with this? And it's as though in my mind's eye, the Lord took me to the Son of God and said, here is your answer. He didn't tell me what the answer was. He just gave me his Son, brought his Son into view. This is what we need. We need to be able to see the Lord Jesus, high and lifted up, glorified, waiting for us, leading us, governing us, loving us, moving us on. Then we go on to read this, verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He went to be with Jesus. This death seems so tragic. What could have been if only these people wouldn't have hardened their necks? It just seems like it all ends in tragedy. Except for one statement. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul, after this, became eventually known as Paul the Apostle. But Saul comes into view according to the arrangement of the Spirit of God in the Word, when Stephen is martyred. Tertullian was one of the early church fathers. He has no authority scripturally, but he did say this. The blood of the saints is the seed of the church. Stephen's death was not in vain. In fact, something got hold of Paul. He acted all wrongly after he heard of this and just terrorised the Christian community. But he saw something that day with Stephen that gripped his heart. And I'll tell you why. He was a man who had loads of people put into prison. He caused all kinds of problems. But when he recounts his conversion, 
He brings to mind the death of Stephen. And the death of Stephen starts the long road towards Saul becoming Paul. Amazing. Friends, the reason why we see so little is because there's so little death in us. We're not willing to lay down our lives. If we were willing for it, with everything we die to, there'd be some resurrection that comes along. Are we willing for the cost of it? John said, he must increase and I must decrease. But with the decrease comes a death to something. Jesus says in his word, 2 Timothy 2 verse 12, if we suffer with him, if we suffer, we will reign with him. Friends, if you know the sufferings of Christ, you'll know the glory. Stephen received a crown. I believe he got that. And the Lord Jesus received him into his company and said to him, well done, good. And faithful servant. 
imagine if you start speaking against homosexuality today, outwardly, there'd be opposition. You could be arrested for it. Forty years ago, nobody would have batted an eyelid. That's where we're at. Praise God for a reprieve in the fact that we now have a government, at least in certain areas. There's breathing space. But nonetheless, the only way we can get through in the last days is getting through the way the early church did, with Stephen. Being those brothers and sisters that are full of faith. When Jesus is coming back, it says, will he find faith on the earth? It's looking for him. Secondly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus said about the parable of the five foolish virgins and the five wise? We need oil. we need to be willing to lay down our lives. Even physically, it could come to that. Or imprisonment, it could come to that. But nonetheless, dear friends, how are we to cope? Let's take Stephen's disposition. He looked up into heaven and he saw the Lord. He saw the glory of God. The glory of God was his theme. I don't believe that Stephen was a depressed man when he died. I believe there was a joy even in his spirit, though not outwardly observed, but in his spirit. God had got him there. He saw the Lord Jesus standing to receive him. My life, your life, it's going to be gone like that. Only that which is of Christ. Please, Look up. Lift up your head, Jesus said, at the last days. When you see these things begin to happen, lift up your head, for your redemption draws nigh. Stephen's redemption was there when he suffered the persecution. He is in time, the way we need to be in the last days. May it be that we reach that glorious end when we see the Lord. And he says to us, well done, Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we've covered a lot of ground this afternoon. I want to thank you for the patience and the attentiveness to you.